0: Welcome, everyone listening in to From Our Vantage Point. Vantage Point's podcast recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tooth First Nations, where we talk all things not-for-profit related. I'm Rowan King, the Interim Communications Manager at Vantage Point, and the From Our Vantage Point host. This month, I was lucky enough to have a conversation with Leah Koss, co-founder and president of Build-A-Biz Kids. Build-A-Biz Kids is a Canadian charitable organization that provides kids with opportunities to build skill sets relevant to a quickly changing world. As it says on their website, they seek to supplement traditional schooling with unique real-world learning experiences that allow kids to engage directly with their education. And through a series of hands-on projects with a focus of entrepreneurship, kids develop and apply foundational skills that will last a lifetime. Build it As Kids is a really great initiative to get kids motivated and excited about new opportunities. That being said, the focus of our conversation earlier this month was actually engaging skilled volunteers. For anyone listening who is familiar with Vantage Point, you may be familiar with our Knowledge Philanthropists, the people who not only generously volunteer their time, but their expertise as well to support BC's not-for-profit leaders in their professional and organizational development. Knowledge Philanthropists are otherwise known as skilled volunteers, and many organizations benefit from their generosity to enhance the work towards their missions. Build-a-Biz Kids is one of those organizations, like Vantage Point, that engages skilled volunteers to achieve its mission and vision. So what does that look like? We're about to find out. But first, I would like to introduce you to Leah. Leah Koss has owned numerous businesses in manufacturing and finance, as well as being a franchise development consultant for over nine years in assorted industries. She's a published author and speaker on automation, eliminating skill obsolescence, and reducing turnover in the workplace and the skills labor gap. She's also an advocate for education and the co-founder and CEO of the Fuel Academy. To all you out there listening, thank you for joining us. And without further ado, let's hop on over to the discussion where Leah will introduce herself. Thank you so much for being here today to talk about skilled volunteer engagement, Leah. How has your day been so far?
1: Pretty good. No complaints.
0: When I read your bio on the Build a Biz Kids website, I was thinking about how you have a lot of startup experience and a lot of experience in the not-for-profit world. And there's so much to be said for understanding both lenses between for-profit and not-for-profit. I don't know if I'm in the minority when I say this, but I've noticed a bit of attention when folks in the not-for-profit landscape talk about for-profit businesses for various reasons. And I can understand why, but there's a real benefit to speaking both languages. Have you noticed the benefit to having a foot in both worlds, so to speak?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think both worlds can learn a lot from one another. And actually where I've seen most of the adoption of one person's philosophy over the other is actually in the for-profit world because so much of the for-profit world is now becoming social enterprise. So it's about, yes, it's okay to make money. We shouldn't feel guilty about making money, but we can definitely be making choices in our businesses and how we do business who we do business with, distribution channels and all that kind of stuff, as well as having an actual cause behind why we do what we do. Like a really simple example is I can spend money buying a Nike t-shirt, but we all know that Nike has been under, you know, quite the magnifying glass for how they're manufacturing things, their distribution channels, how they're spending their money, political points of view, things like that. Or I could spend pretty much the exact same amount of money, if not less, and get just as good of a t-shirt from a company called 10 Trees. And when I buy from them, I'm still getting a t-shirt. I'm still getting the function of what I need, but they're planting 10 trees every time I purchase a t-shirt and I get to choose where those trees go. We're starting to see for-profit wanting to companies starting solely with the purpose of their social enterprise initiatives that just happens to be a for-profit business, where I think the nonprofit community needs to catch up is there there is an old adage that if you do what you love, you will never make money, right? Um, if Oh, you want to be an artist or you want to save the whales. Oh, you're never going to make money in that. To a degree, that's somewhat true. When you look at what you get paid in a nonprofit organization for an equal role to a for-profit, it's substantially lower. But also nonprofits are not naturally developed in a self-sustaining way. In a for-profit business, you've got to keep the lights on and you've got to earn that money. So you create sustainability for yourself. And nonprofits, often they're heavily reliant on grants or things that are either a one-off or, ooh, we got this $3 million contract. We better cross our fingers and hope we get it again. Otherwise, we're going to have to lay all of our staff off. And that's not a a fun place to be as an employee. And it's certainly not a fun kind of company business model to run. So creating some sustainability methods, um, you know, even girl guides, they've got their girl guide cookies that helps them with sustainability. So I think both can definitely learn from one another. And it's exciting to see how it's been transforming so quickly just over the last five, 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You raise some interesting points. And I know that we talk about at Vantage Point, we talk about, uh, you know, like diverse revenue sources and and diversifying those sources so that, you know, there's a bit more sustainability and things like that. So there are definitely practices to create that sustainability um, within the not-for-profit world. And shameless plug here, we have a podcast episode on that subject, on uh, having a for-profit lens. It's literally called a for-profit lens in not-for-profit organizations. And it talks about how using a corporate lens can actually elevate the way we do our work in not-for-profit. So if you're listening and haven't checked that out, I would recommend doing that as well.
1: I love it. I love it. There's actually a book that I'll I'll recommend too. A lot of people have heard the Lean Startup. It's all about creating MVPs and doing things really, you know, scrappy as far as a tech company goes or a new startup today in a for-profit world. But there is someone who actually created something called Lean Impact. And it's all about how do you have an impact organization, specifically nonprofits. And it really discusses a lot of what nonprofits can do to create lean startups, lean projects, you know, when you're going after those $3 million contracts, one of the most frustrating things is you've got to tell that grant issuer, everything that you're going to be doing for the next three years in that contract. But what if one year in you realize what you're doing isn't working, and you find a better way? How do you pivot, right and not have that grant ripped away. So it's a really great book that creates a lot of uh, interesting points like that.
0: That's awesome. And we'll link both of those in the description. So thank you for that. Back to the purpose of this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) Build It As Kids focuses on supporting kids to build a foundational skill set relevant to today's quickly changing world. And from what I understand, and honestly, the golden rule for anything to do with supporting future generations, it takes a village. So what does volunteering at your organization look like? Is it mostly field volunteering, virtual volunteering? And what do role responsibilities consist of?
1: You know, I'd be lying if I said that we figured out the volunteering thing right from the start. I'd say that once COVID hit it, really forced us to have to get scrappy and creative with things. Um, And volunteerism is something where, uh, you know, we do have that benefit where the thing that we do at its very essence is we're focused on kids' education. And all of us, whether we're a parent or not, we've all been a kid going through education. So our mission really resonates with people. And finding volunteers, back when we first launched, if we had like a kid's market day and we needed feet on the ground, we need people there to help watch the kids. We need people there to, to talk to passer buyers and just be you know the traditional volunteer of wear a t-shirt, represent the brand, and help people when they ask for help. That's what we were definitely doing. But once COVID hit, there was just this huge amount of shift in just how we even looked at volunteerism. There was a huge shift that also happened in the job market. All of a sudden all of these youth who usually would get summer jobs didn't have those summer jobs because, you know, the the playlands of the world and the, you know, fun parks are not open because of COVID. And so they're having to figure out what am I going to do? And then for us, we're all about giving young kids like seven to 13 year olds as much hands on real world experience. We believe experience really is just the king of of helping to build a person's confidence and to feel the value that they can contribute to the world around them. So the younger, the better. But here we are is looking at, you know, all of these kind of 18 to 30 ish year olds who are now going. How am I supposed to pay for school? Um, I need to make some extra money, or uh, you know, if I can't do that, maybe maybe I should just start working towards whatever my passion is. This is a great opportunity to start playing around with the things that I love and try and get some experience under my belt. So, kind of what was happening in the world through COVID, and then when we looked at what we wanted to do, we also thought. Maybe this is just a fun time to try a lot of stuff we've never really tried before. Awesome. And those two desires on both sides really lined up. And so we ended up where we had about, well, I want to say at least 50 volunteers at any one time doing things that we had never used volunteers to do before. And something really awesome evolved from that. For one, we got to start being savvy and trying things we had never tried before as a charity because it seemed risky. We didn't have the capacity to do it. We didn't have the money to do it or the expertise to do it. All of a sudden, we had these people who wanted to be experts in these areas. They weren't yet. And so they were willing to kind of try things out with us. So that was really, really fun. But then we also recognized that, wow, this is an opportunity where we're helping really young kids get experience, but why can't we actually create an internalized program that can help these people for however long it takes for them to land whatever that dream job is, or to start their own business. And so we actually created this whole process to help people with whatever their goals are. Incidentally, when we really figured out how to help volunteers uh, that shift in point of view, they're not there to serve us, we should be there to serve them. That actually really helped us within how we treated our employees as well. Because if you can have volunteers thanking you for what you've been able to do for them, I mean, that's like just, that's awesome. So imagine how that can affect, you know, people who are then actually hired by the organization. So COVID really was, you know, in this one section of things, really, really beneficial to us to getting to try new things we'd never tried before and helping us to become a better employer while simultaneously helping people not feel like they have to get that summer job to you know just make that minimum wage to pay whatever small amount of bills they can pay. Instead, to look at this and go, what if I used this summer to do the thing that I love so that I can start my life that much sooner? And we've kind of got this program that we like to look at as a bit of a triple win. A win for us, obviously, a win for them, uh, and then a win for, for the community that we're supporting.
0: Willingness to adapt and that willingness to be flexible and try new things and take risks, like that's huge. And, you know, in such a difficult time, it's nice that you were able to find a positive. With all of these trying different things, trials and errors, and I do want to come back to that rewarding aspect. Um, but with all of these trials and errors and things like that, do you have a favorite story of engaging volunteers over the past few years?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, we've had so many, so it, Every time that we would bring on a volunteer, we'd actually bring on a team. So when you're bringing on three people to all work on a project that they're all passionate about, they end up managing themselves. They end up driving that initiative and turning it into so much more than you thought it could be. So when COVID happened, uh, there was something that has always been around, but it became very apparent during COVID, which is something called the digital divide. That's where Um, Kids who do not have access to technology because perhaps their families uh, can't afford internet access or a computer for the child to use at home, all of a sudden when that child's not able to go to the library or school... They're not only significantly more in isolation than any other child out there, but their education has come to a full stop. Mm -hmm. And so we recognized uh, a lot of things. One, we need to get the technology in their hands in terms of the physical hardware, but also we became really passionate about realizing that internet access should no longer be a luxury. It should be a human right. This is something where even an adult if we wanna help them get back on their feet, if they can't be applying to jobs uh, at nine o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night when the kids are finally in bed, you know, they can't go to the library and use computers. So uh, I could, you know, I'll stop myself there. I can go all day long about the digital divide. So anyway, we became really passionate about that. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we just had a team where I don't even know what they're gonna do, but we just like try and close that gap a little bit. So we created a team called Advocates for Change. And it was literally them developing so many scrappy skills on, well, I don't even know where to start. Who could we call? Okay, well, let's call all of the internet providers. Okay, let's start calling um, developers of buildings that are gonna be rental buildings and see if the developers will actually pay for the internet for the whole building and then people can have access to it. Let's call the government. We don't even who do you call at the government about this? And they just kept going down rabbit holes and it was fun. It was something that they were doing cuz they wanted to go down the rabbit holes. It wasn't a mandate. We didn't even know what the end goal was or how we were going to make this change, but that was just one of the most fun teams. And I have to say uh every week we had something called huddle. It was the one time remotely where all of our volunteers and our team could get together and run through everything that's happening on the company on a week-to-week basis. And that team in and of itself injected so much enthusiasm around people because they were like, I don't know where we're going either, but this is it sounds exciting and this is exactly what we want to do. We want to feel like we're making big change, unconventional change, a change that's going to last for future generations. So that's just one of the many teams that we created that we had no idea why we even brought them on. We were like, there's something here.
0: And... Of course, like when you get a bunch of people in a room who all care about the same thing, some great things happen. And it sounds like they were really innovative. So that's that's really awesome. The biggest concerns we see around volunteerism is attracting and retaining. So what are the most effective strategies you've applied to attract volunteers? Or a better question might be, who do you look for when you are looking for volunteers and how do you find them? Do you take a strong PR or marketing approach or do you rely on a more word of mouth strategy?
1: To be honest, um, we have not really thought too far outside of the box on that. Obviously, we have some relationships with different colleges and universities where they have students needing to do like final capstone projects or uh, they need to do some sort of internship or volunteer hours. So we have some relationships like that. But to be honest, I mostly just post it on Indeed and we get people applying. And in my opinion... Um, So I mentioned that I like to bring people on in groups because of that. Uh, I always do group interviews, so I never, ever do one-on-one interviews. Group interviews are just so I I can do a whole other podcast with you on that, Mm -hmm. but group interviews, uh, pretty much everyone who comes and stays till the end at the end, I ask them, so does this sound like, so what I'll do is I'll talk about the company, then I'll tell them about the role that we're looking for. Uh, let them ask questions and talk about themselves and their passions. And then I say at the end, okay, awesome. Does this sound like something you'd be interested in doing? And if they say yes, I say, perfect. You're all on board. You know, if someone's here for the passion of it, uh, to be honest, I don't even put on Indeed that I want them to submit a resume. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people who want to do the role because if they want to do the role and they're willing to do it as a volunteer, that's showing a significant amount of drive right there and they're going to figure it out. And they're actually going to rise to it more because. They, they want to prove something. That's why they've applied for this role that they don't yet have a lot of experience in. So we pretty much accept everybody and uh, we just use really conventional means and it goes through eps and flows on how many people apply and don't apply. But, you know, we've kind of figured out a system that can really help with that conversion. In terms of once they're on board, um, that why, their why... Uh, Is usually a two factor why they're in it. Of course, for the company, but more so, and we have to recognize this more so. They're in it for themselves, and that's a good thing, right? Mm. As as an organization, we can too often say, but they're not doing what I want them to do. They're not doing what they were told. They're they're supposed to be here to serve me. No. We're there to serve each other. And if you can really authentically have that come through, they'll want to stick around because they're not feeling judged or stressed out. If they're volunteering, this is supposed to fill their soul, not stress them out at night because they missed a deadline. Mm -hmm. So you also have to set your expectations as to what you're asking them to do. What your timelines are that you're wanting them to do. That's why having them take on these side projects were great because it was like, hey, anything that you're doing is awesome. Like we're we're stoked. We could have never done that anyway. So, you know, bonus to us. Um, so just remembering that they're there for their own personal reasons. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I usually ask people what their why is, but even then, people have things going on in their lives. You're just never gonna know about. And so um, this could be a really scary endeavor for them, or it could be something they're really excited about. They could be pivoting their career. We've had people who um, have volunteered with us at like 40, 45, because they're looking to pivot their careers. They finally decided they don't want to do accounting anymore and they want to go into graphic design, but how do you do that at 45? And so they just want to get their feet wet and they're willing to work hard. They're willing to, to do something that they can feel passionate about. So be okay with it. Um, And in fact, Elevate that through everything that you say to them, how you communicate with them. You know, I'll even check in with them and just be like, hey, tell me what's working, what's not working. What would have been easier for your onboarding? Um, And we also have certain things internally for reminding them, like, hey, once you've been here and you've done some work that we have something to speak towards. We'll do letters of references. We'll give you phone call references. Just let us know what you need. We help them with their digital footprint. So we allow them to post on LinkedIn as, I don't know if I should say this, but as work experience, they don't have to post it as a volunteer experience. They uh, get listed on our website. So when people are getting Googled, when they start applying for jobs and the employer is Googling them, their digital footprint is coming up all over the place as being currently employed or working or doing something in the field that they're interested in.
0: So that whole, uh, recognizing that it's a two-way street is so important. And when you said we have to recognize that they're in it for themselves, if, felt like it sounded a little harsh to me, I'm not, I'm going to be honest, but at the same time, you're totally right. Like sometimes people. For people being in it for yourself is just you know helping people makes you feel happy right but you need you need that reward
1: yeah if, if I may one of the things that we sometimes get criticized from so you mentioned it can sound harsh right mm-hmm. but what's so funny about that is you're like oh it feels harsh from like as a as an Im- volunteer like you're in it for yourself right it's like it's interesting because normally what we get is the opposite which is we're harsh as <laughs> the nonprofit. Um, kind of violating these volunteers and milking them for all they got and stuff, right? And it's so interesting because I always say, you know, you're looking at us going, you're taking advantage of these people in their free, free time. People should get paid what they're worth. And I say, that's true. I believe that. But as a nonprofit, we can't pay. So can your company pay? Oh, well, no, we don't hire people that don't have any experience. Okay, then. So now that we've established (laughs) that this person pretty much doesn't have options, and we're not just talking about people with no experience, I've had people who have 20 years experience in their home countries come as a new immigrant, but because they don't have Canadian graphic design experience, nobody wants them, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got people who are 45. They've been in jobs and they're looking to pivot their career so they don't have experience yet. They've got all of this other, you know, demonstration of loyalty and resiliency and ability to lead and decision making. But you don't have this technical skill, you know. And so we're simply saying, look, if, if you're not going to hire them, we would love to be able to help them so you will hire them. Right. And that's really, and I always say there's always a story like, yeah, we're obviously saying, hey, who would like to work on this one project for us? And by the way, we're not going to pay. It's a volunteer thing, but you're welcome to use it as a portfolio piece. Plus, we have the digital footprint, the letters of references, the um, other coaching and training and mentoring in our system. Not to mention at the time, this feeling of being a part of a community that they got to actually talk to and interact with during this time of isolation. So we're helping them with all these things, but I always say, what about that person obviously they're applying for a volunteer job for a reason because they want to build their portfolio they they don't we had one person and he, and we actually put him in a leadership role he managed our social media team and initially started as a volunteer we eventually hired him But he was like, and then he went on to another job because they could pay better and and such. And he goes, I got to say, I would have never been able to lead a team, except you just kind of like trusted me with it. And because it was volunteering, I didn't feel the same kind of pressure. And and all of a sudden he just flourished and grew. And, uh, you know, he still communicates with us till this day on like a monthly basis, just checking in because, That experience helped him so much with his confidence. There's a lot of reasons why people want to volunteer. And even if it's just because, you know, so many people have on their New Year's resolutions, I'm going to volunteer more this year, right? Well, you don't judge them for wanting to volunteer, right? But you're thinking of them, oh, they're just putting on a t-shirt and, and handing out flyers at an event. But what if that person was just a really incredible coder and they love making video games and they wanted, but the company they work for, they have to make their video games and they're not fun video games. They're like corporate video games maybe. And they want to do a fun video game. And so they come to us and they say, can I make you a fun kids video game? Would you use that? Heck yes. You know, um, volunteering doesn't just have to be someone who puts on a t- shirt and shows up to an event, volunteering can be people who love what they do, and want to take on fun projects doing what they love. And for them, that New Year's resolution of wanting to volunteer, why wouldn't they do that? Why would they show up to the park wearing a t shirt doing something that doesn't inspire them?
0: Yeah, totally. There are so many reasons why someone might want to volunteer. And at vantage point, we've got our knowledge philanthropists, which are skilled volunteers. And They, you know what, it's, it's like they're, they're giving their time and their expertise. And that's just like, we have them on board to give their expertise to uplift not for profit leaders. And it's like, that's knowledge that they have that that they've worked hard for, right? Like, this is something that they would you know, otherwise be paid for. But this is something that they also want to give of their own volition. And there everyone feels differently about what's rewarding for them. So yeah, there's just so it like it's people are diverse is what I'm saying.
1: For sure. Yeah. And, and everybody has a life that you just don't know what's happening in it. And they all have reasons for why they want to do what they do. So it's not to say that we don't ever pay anybody here. We don't have roles. We do. But there's just a lot of projects where we're like, you know, if somebody would like to do this, um, we're not expecting them to work with us for years and years and to take on, you know, massive deadline oriented projects. But if there's some fun things that can be a triple win mm-hmm. here, um, then yeah, we're, we're excited to work with people in that capacity.
0: That's awesome. Also, before we move on, I wanted to mention you were you were mentioning um, posting on Indeed to find people. And I just want to do another plug here. (laughs) Sorry. It's Volunteer Connector. So if you want to if anyone out there listening wants to post for volunteers, another option for that is specifically volunteer oriented is Volunteer Connector. Before we continue with the conversation, let's take a short break to hear from our sponsor, Humanity Financial Management, and we will be right back. From
1: Our Vantage Point is brought to you by Humanity Financial Management, a chartered professional accounting firm dedicated to supporting Canadian nation builders and movement makers in social sector organizations, social purpose businesses, and Indigenous communities
0: and organizations. The humanitarians
1: on our team work with our client partners to shift the balance of power through finance in advance of our shared goals to transform this land into the most environmentally, socially, and economically equitable place on Earth. Visit Humanity Financial Management online at humanityfinancial.ca.
0: We are back with Leah Koss from Build-A-Biz Kids. Thank you for sticking around. Before the break, we were talking about how to show appreciation for people's time. In your organization, what does volunteer recognition look like? How do you recognize the contributions people make to support these youth?
1: So there's a number of ways Uh, because of most like we actually were in BC, Canada, in like the Vancouver area, but we have volunteers that span all the way to Newfoundland, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, And we've even had people in the US. So because of that, a lot of what we do these days is to help them with their digital footprint, uh, and then, of course, there's specific things that maybe they have a request for, such as can you do a letter of recommendation or fill out this survey when an employer is trying to hire them or they're applying to some sort of master's degree program. So for us, uh, digital footprint is really important. These days, you know, even though <laughs> even Wikipedia, we think of that as almost gospel sometimes, but it's not. It's, it's people who have written that stuff. Right. And it's amazing how your digital footprint really does Add a lot to what an employer or future clients will assume about you so because of that the first thing that happens is everyone who comes on board they get entered into our slack so they are part of the team they're part of our community they get to hear everything that's going on in it they uh, are plugged into slack we send them a google form and that's where they upload a short bio they actually get to choose the title that they want so long as it's in the vein of what they want so as an example perhaps they do graphic design but they want to be known for video game graphic design or someone else is working specifically in social media graphic design other people are like i'm still exploring it i just want to be in graphic design and so they can choose so long as it's in the vein of what they're doing what their title is and then they're uploading a headshot that goes on to our website on our team page if you're a volunteer with us you are as big and important of a team member as everybody else. So that's the first thing. If they get Googled, that's going to show up. It's also going to show up with the label that they want to give to themselves. Mm -hmm. Titles really don't matter to us, but they really do to others. (laughs) So we're okay with that. The next thing is, is we tell them, you know, your LinkedIn profile is your modern day resume. It's, you know, if, if you go on a dating app and you go on a date, your date is going to Google you and look up you up on Facebook and, you know, Instagram and all that kind of stuff. That's the LinkedIn is like the employer equivalent of stalking you online before they hire you or or even invite you for an interview. So because of that, it's important to look up to date. And it's just so true. You're way more employable when you look employed than if you look unemployed. (laughs) So, (laughs) right? Like they say, the longer you're unemployed, the longer that gap is, the harder it is to actually get someone to say yes and hire you. So, you know, this I could definitely get some flack for, but again, if somebody is doing something out of the passion and love of doing it, That's more impressive than somebody who's doing it perhaps just for a paycheck. So we give them permission to enter us on their LinkedIn as their regular work experience. Now, that said, we let them know like there's Restrictions around this, like once you've stopped volunteering, you know, put an end date on your time with us. We don't want to like stretch the truth too far here. Um, We also have them attending something called a weekly huddle. What we found is if a volunteer, if we don't hear from them for anything more, sometimes as long as two weeks, but definitely after three weeks, they pretty much drift off and they never come back. So we want them attending at least a weekly meeting or corresponding on Slack with updates of what they're working on on a regular basis. So as long as they're active, You're an active employee as far as we're concerned. Put us on your LinkedIn. And now when you're applying for roles, you are showing that you are in fact active because not every employer scrolls all the way down to the bottom where the volunteer opportunities are. That's kind of considered fluffy um, to a degree, depending on what you're working at. They wanna know what you've been paid for, what someone willing to like spend money on you for. But again, to us, you doing it out of the passion and love and not a paycheck is more impressive. So uh, that's another thing that we offer.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. I kind of wanted to revisit something that you mentioned before the break without going into a podcast within a podcast. (laughs) You mentioned that you really like to do group interviews. And I'm wondering if you can just kind of break down the benefits of doing group interviews over more private one-on-one interview.
1: For sure. So even for our paid roles, I have never done a one-on-one interview. I will always do group interviews. So if I just go into that as a general philosophy, I think that'll transfer over into why I do it for volunteerism as well as for paid hires. When people are one-on-one, you can sometimes see a side of them that only comes out one-on-one. But more often than not, you're often bringing someone on where at some point they're going to have to either interact with customers, they're going to have to interact with the team, they're going to need to be a team player. So why not just interview them in that kind of environment? The other thing is a cultural fit. So there are people who have incredible credentials and on paper are amazing. But once you get them in the room, all of a sudden the energy is different. You sense that they're feeling uncomfortable with our energy or vice versa. And so you want to make sure there's a cultural fit and you will not be able to figure that out one on one. People are also wanting to put their best foot forward. And when there's only one auditor in the room, so to speak, um, and this is speaking from experience, I I was a total BS person growing up in my 20s and I could nail any one-on-one interview because I knew what you wanted to hear. But if you put them in a group interview and multiple people are having to answer the same question, they have to stand out and they feel like there's more people auditing them, you know, and they're less inclined to be giving any kind of stretched truths and they're going to be a lot more authentic because they feel like they're being audited. The last is I actually watch them more when they're not talking in the group interview. Are they looking bored? Do they look like they're surfing the internet while other people are talking? Are they nodding their head because they're actually listening to other people in the room? If this is going to be bringing them on to work with a team, I want not understand. Are they just showing up when they have to? Or are they actually interested in this thing? So group interviews... That's why I think they help me find the best people for the role we're we're bringing on for. But then just logistically, how many people realistically do you need to interview to find the right person for that role? Well, let's say 10 people, you know, and, and that might be really low or really high to you. But if I had to interview 10 people and you're allocating 30 minutes to an hour for each one, That's five to 10 hours. When I could instead in 60 minutes interview five people at a time, all of a sudden I'm only needing two hours to interview 10 people. And I have actually done group interviews with up to 10 people before. So you're saving so much time. And sure, if if it's a paid role, a really significant one, after you've done one or two rounds of group interviews, you can do the one-on-one if you really want to dive into something. But for volunteerism, One group interview is enough for me to know and for them to know if this is going to be a good fit. And then they'll usually self-eliminate.
0: That's really interesting. I can definitely see the benefits of that. It sounds like it's like a a more competitive spirit, a more collaborative culture kind of thing. Um, And I can see the benefits to both sides. And as someone with a disability and, you know, like it can be difficult to speak up right away in a group conversation where I don't know everybody. I feel like, you know, that maybe wouldn't be the best fit for me. But, it you know, that just speaks to what you're looking for, right?
1: I think it'll really depend. Yeah. And one thing that I would also add is I format my interviews in a way that from my experience is actually the opposite of what most people do for interviews. And so mm-hmm. this would help because we've had people with like people on the spectrum. Um, we've had people, well, things like dyslexia and stuff don't even apply because it's all like just mm-hmm. virtual like this people as well, new immigrants, where their English is something that they're very insecure about. They're not even, you know, they're they're like, oh, I can't speak English as well as some of the other people in the room, right? So there's a lot of insecurities that people will have. I mean, heck, people can be insecure about how they look, right? And now all of a sudden, you've got me in a room with a group of people. What we do is we actually flip it on its head. So often when you show up to an interview, you're so nervous because you feel like you're going to be grilled. And then now you're going to be grilled in front of a group of people. Oh, my goodness. In that nature of what I was talking about, where even with your employees, like having volunteers the way that we have has made us a better employer. And it's because we structure the interviews to let them know right out of the gate, I care more about you feeling comfortable than me. And so uh, most interviews will sit down and say, So tell me about yourself. Well, tell me about this job. Tell me about this that's on your resume. What, What would you do in this situation? So they're starting with the grilling of the interviewee. We do it where we say, Hey, Awesome that you're all here. Now, I know you have a lot of questions, so what I wanna do is hopefully answer most of those right out of the gate for you. So first I wanna start off where I'm gonna tell you a bit about the company, then I'm gonna tell you about the role, and from there, I'd love to turn it over to you. And just so you can start percolating for you, I'm gonna ask you three questions. First question is, why did you apply for the role? Second is, what are you up to? Are you in school? Are you working? What's your situation right now? And um, three, what is your goal? So beyond this, what do you hope that this role will do to help you with whatever your future career path is? Those are the three questions. And I'll usually say after that, I'll ask if there's any questions. So you'll get to, to ask if I missed anything. And then we'll kind of go from there. So I set the agenda ahead of time to let them know you can relax and get comfortable in the room. I'm going to be doing most of the talking and my talking is to help satisfy your curiosity first. Then my questions are not going to be interrogating you about your resume because again, I don't really care about the resumes most part. Instead, I want to understand why did you apply for this? What are you up to and what are your goals? So they're going, wait a minute, you, you're asking me whether this is paid or volunteer. What, how am I going to use your role to help me leverage in my career? Like It's so backwards to most uh, interviews. So that is how we try to help people feel comfortable, but also right from the get-go, we want to be authentic. We know you're in it for yourself. Of course, whether it be a paycheck or whether it be to help our mission or whether it be to help your career, that's cool. We just want to know so we can see if this is going to be a good fit and make sure that whatever role you do here is going to help you with whatever that future uh, career path is.
0: That's awesome. So instead of quizzing them on how they can be a good fit for you, you're quizzing them on how you can be a good fit for them. That's, that's great.
1: Yeah. And by letting them know, here's what the company is about. Here's how we operate. And then here's the role. They feel like they're in control to be like, I don't even think I want this job. Like they can either self-eliminate because of the role they can self-eliminate because they're like, I just feel uncomfortable with what you're asking to be done or that schedule doesn't work for me or whatever it is. But you've put them in a position where they feel like their opinion matters because you're letting them have the space to have an opinion about us first instead of in an interview where you feel like you're the one in the hot seat being judged all the time.
0: So pivoting a little bit in our conversation. You had, I think, a couple of years to kind of develop your systems, your processes, and then everything changed. And you were talking about this earlier, that there was a lot of trial and error involved or taking risks involved with volunteer engagement since COVID happened. I'm wondering, what is the benefit in reevaluating your not-for-profits volunteer program or engaging volunteers in new ways when it can feel so risky, right?
1: Yeah. So just to make sure I hear correctly. So, um, what is the importance of reevaluating how we bring on volunteers or why we're bringing them on? Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Reevaluating your volunteer program or engagement, basically.
1: For sure. Yeah. Like I'll be completely honest for 2022, we've actually taken a big look at what it is that we need for this year. And the last two years have allowed us to play around with so many things that this year we're like, oh, we have clarity. We know what our our three focuses are. and, And if it doesn't fall into those three focuses, we don't want to be distracted by anything else. So because of that, we've now reduced having gone from on average about 50 volunteers at all times to And that was in 2020. And in 2021, it probably went down to around 25 to 30 volunteers. And now this year, it's really about, say, 10 volunteers, maybe 15. And those are all people that have just been with us for a long time that are more on call for us. So we've definitely been assessing our needs and we'll have shifts and pivots on the types of volunteers that we're needing. Now with in-person programs coming on again, we'll need people for some in-person events as well. It's always important because volunteers is one other tool in your tool belt that you can draw upon if it makes sense. Right. And and if it can be also beneficial to volunteers. So just like your marketing strategy or your innovation strategy or distribution strategy, you should be evaluating that like quarterly, in my opinion, at least, because uh, you should always be looking to see, is this working? what's not working, what's the pain points, and don't just take your opinion for it. You should be having team discussions to figure that out. And if somebody's like, you know, one of the most common questions that we give is just who's needing extra hands? Who's just got some things that they need off their plate? Those might be indicators of, hey, maybe this is an opportunity for you to not only build your leadership experience, but we can bring on some volunteers that you can then lead and um, they can build experience in this really, you know, pivotal project that you're working on as well. So constant, constant assessment.
0: Okay, that's great. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to leave with our listeners today?
1: I think the biggest thing, because, you know, as I mentioned with volunteerism, we get both. We get some people going, wow, that's so cool. And other people like, oh, you're using people. And so um, just remember that uh, no matter what you do, even when it's your mission, you're trying to pull plastic out of the ocean, but people don't like the way that you're doing it, right? You will always have people critiquing you. If you can use your mission and why you do what you do as your kind of benchmark for should we be doing this? And if you can also be really transparent with everyone that you partner with, collaborate with, who volunteers for you, your employees, and always be asking them and not be afraid to ask, is this working for you? Are you getting something from this? What are you excited about by doing this? And what are you not excited about? And then take that feedback and hear it. And assess it. Then you know you'll always be coming from an authentic place that way, and always be making sure that what you're doing is helping the mission and helping the individuals that are contributing to that mission. So authenticity is the biggest thing. Um, when I hear critiques from people about volunteerism here, I just go, you know, that's thank you for having that opinion. Um, if you would like to hear why we do what we do, I'd be happy to tell you about that. But if not, that's okay because I know that. You know, Maria and Io and Poway, like all these people that have come through as volunteers and the careers they've been able to go on to because of this and that they're still in contact with us. Like, I know we're doing something right. And, and that feels really, really good.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you so much for, for that. And for everything that you, you know, all of the information that you've provided, um, I really feel like I, I learned a lot in this podcast. So yeah, I really appreciate you being here today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We'll provide all those resources that we mentioned in the notes section. So make sure to scroll down and check those out. Uh, And thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this month's podcast on Engaging Skilled Volunteers, and thanks to Leah Koss for joining us to share her experience on this subject. If you're at all interested to develop your skills and organizational capacity to engage skilled volunteers, we actually have a workshop on that very subject, and it is literally called Engaging Skilled Volunteers. We'll link the next scheduled session in the notes of this podcast, but if you happen to be listening to this far in the future, um, or you want to bring your whole staff, we can also provide this opportunity as a custom training opportunity, and there will be more scheduled opportunities to come and a link to that information will also be provided below. For all you listening, Vantage Point is a not-for-profit organization based in Vancouver, BC, that works to uplift the province's not-for-profit sector and its leadership. You can learn more at the vantagepoint.ca on our website, and I would like to thank our sponsor, Humanity Financial Management, once again. If you are interested in supporting our work in education, consulting, and not-for-profit advocacy, please consider an organizational or individual membership by going to the vantagepoint.ca slash membership. There are several benefits, such as discounts on our educational programs and opportunities to have your say in our advocacy and sector development work. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. What did you like? What were your opinions about what was said? And what would you like to hear more of in the future? We would love hearing from you. Thank you for listening in today, and I look forward to talking at you again next time.